Exodus chapter 33, just by way of a quick review. Over in Exodus chapter number 32, Moses has been up on the mountain with God and the people the people get tired of waiting. And I know this is a recap for those of y'all that have been here, but the people get tired of waiting and they say, Aaron, raise us up some gods that we can worship. Because as for this man, Moses, we don't know what happened to him. The man that led us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So they begin to worship. They applied their, their, their time, their talent, their treasure, however you want to apply it. But they, they began to put their effort into worshiping other gods, and then they had their own little party afterwards. And I love the, you know, it sounds like a noise of war in the camp. <laughs> he said, no, this is just people messing up. And this is paraphrasing. Don't go looking for those words. So... Um, the time comes and God, after all that they had done and Moses was angry at them, Moses broke down the altar, you know, the whole story with Aaron, you know, I just, they gave me all the gold, I threw it in the fire and out jumped his calf. I love that part. I'll never let you forget it every time I preach it, but it cost them. It costs you when you begin to go after other things and it cost them God's presence and God had God had led them. God had taken care of Pharaoh. God had taken care of them through all of the plagues. And God had led them out, not only not empty-handed. He'd led them out with their children, with their cattle, with, with all their family. All of them got, they didn't have to leave anything behind. But not only that, they got to take the gold with them. Because the Egyptians spoiled themselves. They said, here, here, take it. Just go. Just go. Out of here. Just, we're done. Go. And then Pharaoh changed his mind. They got to the Red Sea. You know the story. I mean, God led them through all of that. God's presence was what got them to where they were at that moment. And they chose to worship other gods. And it cost them. And it'll cost you in your own life. You know when God's carried you through things. You know what God's done for you in your life. And you begin to leave him and you begin to go after other things. You're gonna, it's going to cost you God's presence. If you're saved, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit, but you can quench the Holy Spirit. And, it, and I tell you, you'll feel just as cold as you did before you got saved. You'll, you'll pray, and it just seems like your prayers ain't getting past. It's, it's like trying to see in the dark. It just don't, like Dee's headlights, they just fall right there. Can't get past the ceiling with your prayers because God pulls back his presence. That verse, it tells us, draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to you. It starts out with cleanse your hands, you sinners. And uh, we draw nigh to God. He will. That's our promise. He'll come, he'll come to you. You're going to have to give up some things. You want God's presence. You're going to have to give up the party. You're going to have to give up the other gods. You know, I'm talking about the party that they had afterwards. And, uh, but, they, you know, you're going to have to do some waiting for word from God like they did with Moses. They got tired of waiting, and they lost his presence. So in chapter 33 over there, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land I swear unto them, unto thy seed, uh, verse 2, And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Some people, into a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, some people would have heard, he's still, man, I still get to go to the promised land. Some people would have heard that and said, I'm going to make it by skin of my teeth, you know. 
God's not going to back down on his promise. Even though I did all of this, God's not going to back down on his promise. He's going to take us to to the promised land. But then Moses caught on to something that God was talking about. Everybody else heard, oh, we still get to go. Moses heard, you're going to send your angel. What about you, Lord? Are you going with us? We see that because in Moses' prayer over there in verse number 11, uh, well, it says, Moses spake unto, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaking unto him. Um, verse number 12, Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send, yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, thou hast also found grace. Verse 13, Thou therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. All right, so I should have skipped to verse 14, because that's where he said, And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. He said, All right, Moses, I'm going with you. You're not going to be alone, Moses. And, and Moses hears that, and he's reassured. But Moses' heart is on other people besides just himself. And he begins to include the people of Israel in his prayer. And we talked about that last week. This is all by way of review. This is to put us to where we're going here. And Moses begins to tell him, how, how else are the other people around us going to know that you're with us unless we have your presence. And God said, and the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in thy sight. So God's saying that he's going to go with the people, not just Moses. And then when you begin to draw close to God, you get the reassurances of God. And here Moses had seen all the things that God had done and here Moses was reassured yet again, you know, that, that God's going to go with them. He's not going alone. You could have stopped right there and said, God's going with us. We're going into the promised land. But I don't know if you've ever noticed. But I know in my life when I've drawn close to the Lord, I want more. I want to know him more. And, and and as I begin to look into the word, it's like if if I'm away from God, it's like, oh, I, I know the Bible. I know what's going on here. You know, I know what's going on over there. And you'll talk to a lot of people. Oh, I've read the Bible several times. Talked to one this week online. I know I got to stop. But talking to this one, he told somebody, oh, I've read the Bible many times. You know, he said, there is no God. We already live in a godless world because there is no God. There never was. It's all mythology. I didn't argue with him. I'm not going to sit there and argue with somebody. He said he'd read the Bible many times. And when you get, when you get away from God, that's enough. I've read it many times. I, I, I know what takes place. I know about the story of Moses. I know about the story of Pharaoh. And I know about the story of Joseph. I saw Joseph, king of dreams. And I saw the... Moses' cartoon, I know all about that. I know all about Jesus. I saw the greatest story ever told every year. I know all about that. I don't, I don't need to know anymore. But let me tell you something, Christian. When God begins to show you, 
And when you start looking in there and you start seeing more than just some Bible story, and you start to see how God deals with people, deals with his people, when you start to see how God forgives his people, because you see that in this passage over here in 34, you see God forgiving the Israelites and showing his mercy to them, even though what they had done. When you begin to see God's ways, because that's what Moses was asking for, show me your ways. Show me your will that I may know thy way. Show me, show me what I need to do, Lord. These are your people. They're not mine. I love them. They are. They're hard-headed and they're stiff-necked, he says, in another place in this passage. Over in, uh, he said now, verse number 9, 34, 34, 9, he said, I now found grace in thy sight, O Lord. Let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take for us thine inheritance. He admits it. They're hard-headed. They're stiff-necked, Lord. I love them. You ever, brother, brother Grady, I've told y'all before, he said, Brother Keith, you just have to love him. I know, but Brother Grady, he's, but his heart's toward the people. And, and Moses, even though he'd had the assurance he was going into the promised land, and even though God was beginning to show his way, and he, he had seen all that God had done, once God begins to show you something, you just want a little more. And Moses here, he doesn't stop at, okay, your presence is going with us. We're not going alone. Moses gets caught up in it, I think. I think Moses, he spent that time with the Lord. And man, that would have been enough, right? He spent, he spent that time on the mountain with the Lord, talking to the Lord. The Lord talking to him, beginning to show him things. And in verse number 18... Right after God says that I know thee by name. Verse number 18 of chapter 33, he said, and he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now there's something. Moses isn't content with, he says, show me thy glory. And he said, well, what's he, what's he trying to say? The closest I can come to it, because, I mean, this is a mystery to me, the glory of God. And we're going to, we're going to, Get a little bit of that here. But he says, show me thy glory. Moses wants more of God. That's the only way I know to describe it. He want, he's speaking to God face to face as a man speaking to a man, but he wants more of God. He wants to get more. When you're in your Bible, you know, the Bible says, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. The more you get into the Word, the more you learn about the Word, the more you want to learn, the more you want to know God. The more you see God work in your life, the more you want to see God work in your life. Amen? The more God reveals to you in His Word, and we've been getting some stuff revealed to us in the Revelation study and now in Sunday school, hopefully. But uh, the more He shows you, the more you want to learn. But... Let's go into the passage now and get a little bit away from Keith. And I, I want to give you all this illustration as we go into it. Here, here's an illustration. Yeah, I'm sitting here leaving this out. So I remember when I worked at the power plant in Georgia, okay? We only had 15 people. 
you know, on two per shift, and you had the plant manager, and you had the ship, the, the ops manager, you know, and we had the two on shift taking care of the plant. It was just a little one. But when I first started working there, there was something that started to happen there because God was moving in my heart, and uh, but he was also moving around me, I was seeing. And there was a fellow that came to work there. He'd been hired on. His name was Danny. And I remember seeing Danny in the little hallway we had, you know, and there was just something about him. I ended up talking to him later. I said, you're a Christian, aren't you? You ever been that way around somebody? It's happened to me a couple times in my life. I know when I was in the Navy, I remember there was a chief petty officer who had come to do the inspection and all that with the whole inspection crew. You never had to deal with that, did you? This is the non-war Navy. This is the ribbons and medals Navy, okay? This isn't the the duck and take cover or shoot back Navy. This is the we got to do something to look good Navy. So we're going to call the inspection in on us. So we got our battle efficiency ribbon. Never been to battle, but we're battle efficient. Because we... Because we polish the brass over here, and we, we make sure all of our emergency lights work and all that, you know. But, uh, and, and we got our paperwork up to snuff. Because, you know, you need that in the middle of battle, all that paperwork. But uh, that chief petty officer, I mean, there was something about him, and I wasn't close to the Lord then. I could read the Bible, and I barely understood, you know. Who's this Paul? I just, I, you know. But... Uh, there was just something about him. I ended up talking to him and found out he'd just gotten saved not too long before, you know. He was telling me about going out on visitation, and, and they knocked on the door, and they were there to, to witness, and the man said, I was just reading the Bible. Can you show me this? I mean, even back then when I didn't know anything, that was a good story, you know. But you see it in somebody's life. You see it in their life, and I say, you're a Christian too, aren't you? And it wasn't too long, maybe a year or two, but uh, there were other people that got saved in that little plant. I mean, 15 people, there was like three people that got saved. That's a pretty big percentage when you're dealing with 15. The ops manager was one of them. The guy that uh, Chris, that I was on shift with, he ended up getting saved at the ops manager's church, you know. People would come and visit my church. Oh, yeah, okay. And then they'd go to the other church. That's all right. Some people got to plow. Some people get to plant. Some people got to harvest, you know. And, uh, but, yeah, I I remember that change taking place in their lives. I remember talking to the ops manager, and this is the whole point of telling you all the background, talking to the ops manager, and he's saying, you know, I've been reading the Bible. He said, and, uh, I kind of feel guilty carrying the Bible into the bathroom with me in the morning. Now, some of you are going to get offended by that. You're gonna, some of you are going, how would you take the Bible in there and defile it like that? Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of things you can take into the, the bathroom. They ain't the Bible and they ain't helpful. But, uh, you know, he, he wanted God. And he didn't care where he was. He wanted to learn more. And here was a chance. It was quiet. He was going to read his Bible, you know. And you get you get saved. You ever seen a fresh Christian? There's, man, there's nothing more exciting. They're a sponge, soaking. It's like, man, I've been going my whole life. I didn't know this, you know. And they begin to learn more and more. You crusty old Christians, you. <laughs> I can't even carry on with that joke. That's just too mean. But 
you know, we, we get older, we get crazy. I'm talking about spiritually older. You know, we get a little crusty in it. It's like, well, we've learned this, we've learned that, you know. And we've, and, but when you, you see somebody that begins to get a little bit of God, they got saved, they got Jesus Christ in their life, they want more. I want to learn more about Jesus. I want, oh, man, I can see this about Paul. Man, you know Paul went on some missionary journeys? Oh, did he? You know? Oh, yeah, over in Acts. And then Peter, you know, he had denied Christ, but he's over there preaching in Acts chapter number 2, man. Over there in chapter number 7, oh, Stephen, he's talking about, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about Moses and Joseph and all. He's tying in the whole Old Testament. Oh, really? I remember going in there excited talking and going into Sunday school and talking to one of the guys, and he's just looking at me like, I said, what? He said, oh, no, go on. I know now <laughs> you love hearing it come back. You love hearing somebody get excited about God's word. I remember one time studying for a message. It's like, how many illustrations you got, Keith? I don't know. But I remember one time studying for a message. Megan was in there in dance class, you know. She was doing ballet and triple pirouettes and all that. And her gym, gym class, I don't know what it was. But I'm sitting in there with my little laptop that runs about an hour. Well, I'm sitting there working on the Sunday school lesson for David, and the woman next to me, I, I'm just about to explode. I turned to her. She didn't ask for it. I turned to her, and I start telling her about David and all this, and she said, man, you make me want to get back in the Bible. I mean, when God gets a hold of you, and we talked about that stagnant water this morning, when God gets a hold of you, you start flowing. It starts flowing out of you, and it starts affecting the people around you. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that reaches out. God's using you as a vessel to reach other people. And here Moses, he, he prayed for the people. He took that tent, tabernacle out of the camp so they wouldn't be killed. He broke the tablet. You know, some preachers say if he hadn't have broke the law, if he hadn't have broken that tablet with the law, they'd all been killed right there. I don't know. Some of y'all are looking confused on that. Y'all think about that later. Moses comes down with the mountain and it says, Thou shalt, and if you don't, you get killed. Thou shalt have no other gods before you. Thou shalt not worship any graven images, you know. And if, it, and if that, if he hadn't have broken them talents, they would have been killed. I don't know. It sounded good when he was preaching it. But Moses had prayed for all of this, and the time comes, and he said, Lord, I want more of you. I want to see your glory. It says, and I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Verse 19. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now there's something you're going to see here when you begin to read about what happens when God's glory passes over Moses. It's indescribable what Moses sees. But it's described by something else for us. Okay? But he says, and notice what God says. He says, I will make my goodness pass before you. Number one, God's goodness is related to his glory. And he says, I'll make my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And God's saying, I'll do this. 
And then he says in the next one, and he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. I'm trying to think of an illustration. Man and his daughter go to the beach, and she says, Dad, I want to go out there in the water. But she's too small, and the dad knows that if she gets out there, the current will take her or, that, you know, something could happen to her. And the dad says, I'll, I'll, you can go out into the water. I'll let you go out in the water, but I'm going to go with you and hold on to you. God tells Moses, he said, yeah, I'll show you my goodness. He said, but you can't see all of it. He tells him first, I'm going to, the way I read it, and Alexander McLaren, he was the one that said this. He said, God's telling him as, as a parent that doesn't want to deny the request. But he can't let him go too far because it, it'll hurt him. If Moses were to see all of God's glory, if Moses were to get full exposure, he'd be killed. Sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. And Moses, though he was close to God, though he was worshiping God, though he turned to God for every need, though he, though he followed the Lord, still within him was sin. And you can't see all of God or he'd be killed. So he said, now canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And he uses the front and the back as kind of a, something that we can understand. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Now this is unrelated, but there are certain parts of my Bible, when I read them, a soundtrack kicks off. <laughs> this is one of them. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. You know, you know that one? And there's another one over in Ecclesiastes, and I wish I could change that one. To everything there is a season. Y'all know what I'm saying. But he tells him that he'll hide him in the cleft of the rock as he passes over, and he'll allow Moses to see the backside. So the request was made. You want more of God? Ask him. It wasn't presumptuous. Moses isn't asking for proof of God. He's asking for more of God. And Moses isn't demanding. He's requesting. You ever heard that phrase, if you ask not, you get not? <clears throat> I've asked for some of the stupidest things under that. And it's like, well, if you ask not, you get not. And he was cautioned. God answered him in such a way that, that Mo, lets Moses know that he will grant his request, but he reaches a limit where he won't go further because it would hurt Moses. It would kill him if he were to see all of God's glory. John 1.18 tells us, No man has seen God at any time, not even Moses. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. When we look at Jesus Christ, we see God's glory. In First uh, John four twelve, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. And His request was re was granted. So there are some requirements here that God lays out, 
And I'm telling you this because if you want to get more of God, it's like, okay, I get that key. You begin to read, you begin to want more of God. You begin to you begin to follow the Lord. I tell you what, I get to go into jail and I see somebody get saved. Hey, Lord, let me see more. <laughs> I'd love to see more people get saved. Amen. I love seeing you guys. I love you. Man, I y'all don't know how much this thing, I love this. I know the heart that goes into it. Amen. And I appreciate it. And it's really nice. But, uh, you know, I, I, I see somebody get saved. And I'm going to want to see somebody else get saved. You know, I see some of those men turn their life. I, I've seen one in our own church whose life turned around. And we know, we know the road that that took. Amen. I mean, I, I don't want to name a name. It's, it's hard not to within a church. Everybody knows who I'm talking about. But it was so great to see that life turn around. I look back and I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the courage to go up there. You know, because that wasn't easy for me to go up there and talk on a screen. And, and you know, what do I say? What do I say? But man, talk about hungry. I'd give a list of verses, man, it would go back there and be given out to other people. I wasn't just helping one person, I was helping others. It gives you a taste. You know what? I want more. I went back to the jail. That wasn't enough. Lord, I want to see more. But there's a requirement. Number one, you need determination. Yeah, you know, in the southern parlance, you have to want to. You have to want to. And you say, well, I don't want to, but I want to. Ask God to change your want to. You all say, you're just being confused. No, think about it. There's been times in my life it's like, Lord, I want this, but I don't want to let go of this. God, help me let go of this so I can get this. God, help me to put this aside so I can get to this. Change my want to. You got to have determination. See, Moses, he didn't settle. He didn't say, oh, God's presence is going with us. We, we get to go. Moses, he, he prayed to God. He said, Lord, I'm, if you're not going with us, I don't want to go. He wanted the Lord. He didn't care. You know, I mean, he cared about what God had to offer, but he wanted the Lord's presence. And that's what you have to want. God will not be used. Amen. It's our relationship with him. Man, you get a hold of that, you start to see God's love and glory. So James 4, 8, draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. A relationship with God is swimming against the current. If you ship oars, you will coast backward in your walk. I've told you all about this, that you, can, you can't coast upstream. And getting to God is kind of going upstream. Because this whole world flows against you. You ever stood in a strong current? You got to dig your toes into the sand down there. You know, you got to kind of lean into it to get up there. You're going in the boat, you're going in, you know, I always think of the river. I get the picture in my mind of the river and my father-in-law, and I hope I don't break up doing this. But, man, you know, one of them times I remember, you know, we used his boat. I thought, you know, well, he said, Navy boy. I'll tell you why, because he, 
we used a boat. I took his, my girlfriend at the time, or fiance, I don't remember which. It was Didi, David, both times. But we, we ride up against the, he said, go upstream. In case something happens, you can drift back down, you know. And it's like, how do you know something was going to happen? <laughs> As I got up there, man, I thought I was in some speedboat, and I'm trying to turn, and, and I missed it. I was going too fast when I'm coming back, and it's like, oh, yeah, there was a branch across this part of the river because I didn't know it that well. And I get up on that branch, and he's got the foot pedals, man, to steer with, you know. And I got the gas, man, I think I'm in a Porsche or something. I'm gunning it up to turn back up the river. Well, it's a little boat, and Dee's in the back. She's like, Keith, there's water coming in the boat. There's water. (laughs) And, uh. Wasn't long. We were bailing out. She almost got hit by the motor, I found out later. Man, you talk about, thank you, Lord. But getting that boat, and uh, I was in good shape. That's probably the best shape of my life because I'd been underway working out with nothing else to do. But uh, I wasn't coming back without his boat. (laughs) I was so glad. I never forgot. He said, go upstream in case something happens because the current will carry you back. Well, that's handy for that, but what if you don't want to go back? You got to keep paddling. Because if you don't, you'll just float right back to where you were. You won't get nowhere. So you have to have determination if you want to be close to the Lord. You have to make it up in your mind. You say, Lord, I want to draw close to you. Show me what I need to do. And it's going to hurt. He's going to plow some ground in your own heart. He's going to tell you this thing. Every time you bow your head, every time you say, Lord, I I want more of you, there's going to be a picture that pops up in your head. And it's going to be like, what about this? And you say, how do you know that? Somebody told me. (laughs) Right, it it gets struck in the pulpit. I'm just God. But, uh. He'll tell you, and it's going to be plowing ground, and you're going to be like, oh, that hurts. Can we, can we just do that without letting go of this? That picture will come up again. And you might put it aside for a little bit, and you, you're moving forward, but then you ship oars, you know, and you fall back, and you say, Lord, I, 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 I'm falling back. Lord, I just, and that picture will come up again. Yeah. What about this? I mean, it's like tying off to something on the shore and you're pulling against a bungee cord. It keeps pulling you back in your walk. The besetting sin. You have to have preparation. Determination, you got to have preparation. He tells Moses over here in chapter 34, he says, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. Now, I know I'm, I'm stretching a little bit here, but not, not uh, doctrinally, but maybe a little homiletically. That means sermon preparation. That means putting something here that's not actually here. But I'm just telling you, you know, one of the things you need to be prepared on is the, is the Word. Get in God's Word. God's Word begins to show you and convict you, all right? I could go over into Ezra where it said Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord, prepared his heart to learn God's word so that he could teach other people is what he was doing over in the book of Ezra. 
But here he's telling Moses to hew the tables. There's something Moses had to do. He had to get ready to receive God's word. There's a preparation of the heart. That's a little better tie-in, isn't it? Moses had to prepare the tables to receive God's word. You need to prepare your heart to receive God's word. Let him write it down in the stone of your heart. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai. Preparation. There's a time to get ready. You know, and, and just in actual terms, human terms, the morning is one of the best times before the day kicks off. And uh, it's also the hardest because the mind, I, I, I told you all this morning, I said it's like the Sanhedrin beating me up in the morning. You need to do this. Why didn't you go see this? Why didn't you go take care of this person? Why didn't you, know, you got this going on this week. What about this? And you all wonder why I forget things. I'm just saying. All right. Preparation with the time. Not only do you need determination, preparation, you need some isolation. Let me tell you, if you're going to see more of God, it's real hard to see him in the noise of the world. You got to get away. You know, this morning I said when, when I first started, preaching here, and I'd go into the office. I'd keep the door shut. When I was talking about nighttime, I didn't like the rest of the building being able to sneak in. I was, you know, uh, and Dr. Peacock said this, and I was glad. He said, one of the creepiest places is a church at night. And he's got a reason for saying that. I mean, I don't know what his specific reason is, but you think about it. You know, this is just a building. The Spirit of God dwells within all of us. You leave out of here, man, the devil gets to kick around, do what he wants. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. There's no doctrine here. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm in that office and I'm praying, you know, Lord, just, I claim this name, I claim this space in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I'm not charismatic or anything, but Lord, I just, Lord, please clear out anything that's here because <laughs> it just creeps you out. But you need some isolation from the world. You need a place where it's just you and Jesus. You need, you need a place where the world is out, where you can spend time with the Lord. Because Moses was about to go up on the mountain to spend time with the Lord. Joshua, he wouldn't even come out of the tent where the Lord was. You know, Moses would go in and out of the tent. You look over there in chapter 33, and Joshua stayed in there over in uh, verse number verse number 9, I think. Nine, ten, pillar at the tabernacle door. Ah, verse number 11. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. That paid off for Joshua later, amen. There's a whole book about that, Joshua. But you need to have isolation. He had to get away from the congregation. The church can't be the only place that you get with God because your walk will suffer. If this is the only place and the only time you get with God, you're suffering the rest of the week. I promise you. There's all kinds of things happening. And, uh, well, for that matter, you start trying to draw close to the Lord, there's going to be a lot of things happen too. Amen. I remember when I was down in Thomasville, and I'd get that time alone with the Lord, and, I'd, you know, I'd be up there at 4 o'clock in the morning before I started. I was by myself in this warehouse because I, we did, they just needed a place to drop the stuff for me to deliver around South Georgia. I was the only one there. And, uh, I'd get there in the morning, read the Bible. Man, 
I, I had customers chewing me out. I had things that weren't my fault that I was taking a beating for. I had a woman call me everything. I got to change that. Call me everything but a good guy, you know? And uh, I was tired from getting up early. I cried like a little girl out in the truck. Shh, don't tell anybody. But, I mean, you talk about getting beat up. And it's like, Lord, I'm reading your word. But you know what that does? The devil does that. You know what it does? It's kind of like when you reach for something and you get your hand slapped. <laughs> you get afraid to reach for it again. It's kind of like that. Just be prepared. You start to read God's word. You start to get alone with God. God starts to show you things. There's going to be things happening in your life, but you got to know God's in control. You can't let the devil win. He'll slap your hand. He'll make people around you nasty. He'll ma- I mean, things will happen. It's like, why in the world, man? It's been going good. You got to know the devil doesn't want you. He, he can't take your soul when Jesus Christ has it. But he can, he can steer you away. He can make you useless. He can make you unfruitful. Only because of yourself. You get that? He only influences it. He, he tricks you with things that come from your heart but he'll take you off the track. All right. He had to get away. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shut the door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which is in secret, shall reward thee openly. So you need determination, preparation, and isolation. Preparation, determination, yeah. So the result is seeing God's glory. I'm going to go over a little bit. Y'all all right? We're not going to make another sermon out of this. But seeing God's glory and his attributes. Look over at uh, verse number 6, 34-6. Right, we'll start at 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Uh, let's, let's just talk here. We're reading that Moses is about to see the glory of God. Moses has done the preparation. Moses... Has he's determined, he's prepared, he's isolated, and he's seeing the glory of God. He's up on the mountain with God. In our minds, and some of us conditioned from movies, you know, we got to see a picture of it. We got to see, man, what was it like, Moses? You know, when you were standing there and God passed over and his hand covered you in the cleft of the rock and you saw his backside, what did you see, Moses? What was it that you saw, Moses, as he talks down to us through the years and, you know, his words are written. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and in truth. You know, we don't know what Moses saw. Paul talks over there in Philippians 4, he said, I knew a man in Christ above three. So when it was carried up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I know not. And he said he saw things 
which is not lawful to utter. Moses was seeing some of the same things with God. But rather than sitting out there and describing, man, I saw a light coming, passed over, and then there was a shade, then I saw the back of God, and I saw this and that. Do you know if Moses had written all of that, none of that would be helpful to us? They'd be like, oh, that's great, Moses. You had a great experience. But instead, Moses writes down some of God's attributes. That's where God's glory comes from. It doesn't come from the vision that you see. It doesn't come from all the majesty. I mean, that is glory. That is God's glory. But you know what's glorious to us? You know, is God's goodness. Because that's where it applies to you. I thought about this a little bit. His attributes. He's merciful to us through Jesus Christ, his son. God loved us enough to send his son to die on the cross for us. That's helpful to us, knowing that God's merciful. Oh, I saw the light. I saw clouds. I saw glorious. I saw angels. I saw all of this. That's great. That's what Moses saw. But what Moses gave us, what, what helps you, is knowing that God's merciful. All the clouds, all the glory, all that, that doesn't help you in your time of need. But what, God, what he gave us was God's goodness. Y'all follow me on that? And he said, that came out. It just slipped right out there. God's gracious and long-suffering. God has grace for us. God provides you the grace to get through times of trouble, the times of trial. God provides his grace and forgiveness. God's riches at Christ's expense. I love that. He's long-suffering. He's patient. Lord, I've been struggling with this a long time. It's okay, my child. I can put up with a lot. Or I can, you know, I know. I know this is, Lord, this is like the 105th time I've been, or this is the 100th time I've been here, and the Lord said, well, it's, it's the 115th, but I'm here. Actually, you just said it twice here in the same, I'm here. Abundant in goodness and truth. He gives us truth. We see his goodness. Receiving God's forgiveness reflecting God's glory. So seeing God's glory and his attributes, and then what's the result of that? The result was that Moses began to reflect God's glory. Look at uh, verse 29. Verse 29, it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked. And when, all the children of his, when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh. Look, if you're determined, if you prepare your heart, if you get along with God, doesn't mean that it's glorifying you. You know, Paul, after that, he said, uh, and God, 
I don't think it was Philippians 4, it was somewhere else. But he said, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. He said, lest I be, unless I, lest I become proud, basically. Lest I become full of myself because of what I saw in that third heaven. God gave me a thorn in the flesh. It kept him humble. You know, when you see God, when you get with God, it doesn't glorify you. It doesn't, I'm, I'm holy. I am close to God, man. Let me tell you something. I read God's, man, I can show you from here and here. And I, let me, me and God, we're like this. I'm telling you, God talks to me face to face as he does a man. It wasn't for any of that. But when Moses came down, he was the servant of God. He was reflecting the glory of God through his face. And let me tell you something. It's just like what was happening at that plant. It's like seeing the change in their lives. Seeing, seeing them, just asking the questions. And I remember Chris one time, he, he gave me the opening. And I got to tell him about the gospel. I said, this is what God did. This is what Jesus did. You know, he died on the cross for your sins. And I went through the whole thing. We're there on shift. And I went through the whole thing. And when I got finished, God said, shut up now. Because you want to go on. You want to see a result. You want to see something happen. I wasn't there for Keith. God was using a vessel and flowing out of him. I was reflecting God's glory onto him. And God could work on his heart. He said, shut up, Keith. He didn't say that just now, just so you all know. But we're almost done. To the people, Moses was veiled, but before God, he was unveiled. You know, God, God sees all that you do. You know, they couldn't, they couldn't stand it. They just couldn't. Oh, cover that up, Moses. That's the picture we get. So Moses put on the veil. Imagine it's still glowing around the edges. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But he was spending time with him. I mean, that, and this was after. This wasn't the first time he came down the mountain. This is when he said, Lord, show me your glory. And God puts him in the cleft of the rock. And he just sees the backside of God. He begins reflecting. Let me tell you something. God gets a hold of you. You're going to be a vessel to reach other people. We can teach. You know, we can learn all about out of witness, we can learn all the verses. We can, man, we can make some militant people. We can have everybody out there street preaching with the, with the signs and everything. You won't reach a single person. I can go to jail every week and I say, man, there's no fruit there. And then the other fellow walks out, man, four people got saved. God's got to be in on it. That's who you're reflecting. That's who you're serving. So you're not going up to the mountain for yourself but you're going up to the mountain for other people. You remember what Moses prayed over there in 33? He said, these are your people. He prayed to be equipped. He said, Lord, let me know thy way. Let me know what you want so I can lead this people. They're your people, Lord. Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm almost done. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.18, in this voice which came from heaven we heard... When we were with him in the holy mount, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as a light that shineth in a dark place 
until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, I'm not trying to minimize what Moses did on the mountain, what God did through him. But if you want God to use you, and you say, well, you know, I hadn't been on the mountaintop. God hadn't talked to me like that. God hadn't spoken to me face to face like he does Moses. That was, that was in the Old Testament. That's when that happened. And, you know, I, I get that, preacher. I get that that happened with Moses. And he began reflecting God's glory. But I tell you, in my, my own life, you know, that's Old Testament. Well, let me tell you something. Peter, who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he saw Jesus in his glory, and he heard the voice of God from heaven. And he said, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. And he's talking about Jesus. And Peter got so excited, you know, he, he didn't learn to shut up till later. He said, Lord, let's build three tabernacles. <laughs> Man, this is good. Let's build some tabernacles, you know. And he hears the voice of God from heaven. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And, uh, but Peter said, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. What are you talking about, Peter? Better than being up on the mountain with God? He said, um, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth into a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Wait a minute, Peter. You're talking, you're talking to your congregation, and you've been, you've been telling them all about you know, things to add to your faith and all that, and that's over but, but here you get here and you say, you got a more sure word of prophecy than that experience with Jesus Christ up on the mountain? You're saying, we got something better than what you had there? And he said, knowing this here, the Scripture, no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy talk came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I'm I'm just going to interject a thought here. Peter's up on the mountain, and he hears the voice of God. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear you him? If all Peter walked away from with was that experience, that's all he had. You know, and there's a lot of people that want that experience with God. They want that, you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm this and that, and, you know, and this. But there's something that God gives us. And it gets you through those dry times. You can't always sit up on the mountain, amen. Y'all know where I'm going. I'm just being dramatic. But you can't always be up on the mountaintop. Oh, man, you know, Matt, I envy him. Not supposed to. But, you know, he went out there to the Jubilee out in Florida. We watched it online. Watched that preaching, you know. I had to work while the other preaching's going on. But, man, that's a mountaintop. Let me tell you something. When you leave the world behind and you sit there in a preaching service with all these preachers, and if you went back and listened to it, you said, well, they ain't, they ain't, some of them ain't even using the Bible. So they're talking to preachers. And they're giving them something practical to help them when they go back in the world. All right? But if all we had was that voice saying, blow up my son, but God gave us more than that. He gave us his word. We can hold it in our hand. We can read it. He preserved his word through centuries. Blood has been shed over this word 
fires have been lit with this word. Toilet paper has been made with this word. But God's word prevailed. I'm talking about in prisons and things like that where they were defiling God's word. But, you know, it's... Uh, we have it preserved. We're able to look back and see how did God deal with Moses? How did God deal with David? And you can begin to see it in your own life. You know what? I, I thought God wanted me to do this, but this is what he wants. That's a more sure word of prophecy. You say, well, it's just words. No, he said the Holy Spirit moved men. Their personality's still there. Their, their writing's still there, but God moved on them, moved on their heart. And you would pray that God moves on the preacher when he gets up here. I'm going I'm to read you something. It may be a little hard to understand, but it's Alexander McLaren. I don't remember when he lived or whatnot, but see if you can take out of what you can here as we finish up. Yes, we're finishing up. He said, but whatever, and I'm just going to, you're just going to have to sort it out here. But whatever was the singular prerogative of the lawgiver, and he's talking about Moses, as he gazed from the cleft of the rock at the receding glory, we see more than he ever did. And the Christian child who looks upon the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ has a vision which outshines the flashing radiance that shone round Moses. Y'all get that? That means... When we, in Jesus Christ, we, we see something better than when Moses came down from the mountain with the glowing face. He says, uh, in the face of Jesus Christ has a vision which outshines the flashing radiance that shone around Moses. It deepened his convictions, confirmed his faith, added to his assurance of his divine commission, but, add, but only added to his knowledge of God by the proclamation of the name and that name is more fully proclaimed in our ears. Sinai, with all its thunders, is silent before Calvary. And he who has Jesus Christ to declare God's name to him need not envy the lawgiver on the mountain, nor even the saints in heaven. And that's Alexander McLaren. All right.